This is the Classic Baseball Broadcast Network, where we believe there is nothing like hearing about history from those who lived it. Listen to our full catalog of broadcasts at ClassicBaseballBroadcast.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please help me out and do one of three things. Follow, subscribe this podcast, and leave a review. It really helps. Share us with your baseball friends. Uh, let them know about us. Or jump over to members.thisdayinbaseball.com. Join our email list, community, and our family of baseball podcasts.
As we all know by now, the baseball writers are eager to have the broadcasting of their ball games above. Some believe it hurts circulation, others just want to tell. They don't seem to stop to consider the thousands of shut-ins, invalids, sick people, and others we serve each day. They try to advance their cause by insisting that broadcasting hurts attendance at the games, and yet the stocks had over 50,000 people there Sunday and turned away 20,000 more. And the Cubs didn't do so badly with a couple of field crowds on big days so far this year. So we know we don't hurt attendance. We help it. But the charge that radio announcers brought on the Carroll Conflagration Sunday plays right into the baseball writer's hands. He gives them something to shout at them. Throw the play further into their hands, the lead executive is quoted. I hope incorrectly as saying that all the articles were fed. Hmm. I wonder, let's look at the stories in the Sunday papers about what happened Saturday. One writer refers to the ousting of Dyke School and Shea several times in his story. In his lead, this writer, among other things, said, quoting, in a battle that induced 15,000 adherents to heap wrath on the head of Charles Johnston, who was doing the best he could with a job of plate umpire, end quote. Of course, I may be wrong, but could there be a note of sarcasm in that? In the next paragraph, I find this, quoting, Sewell made harmless gestures while walking out to confer with Lyon. Dyke strolled into the plate to talk. In about a half a minute, both had vanished by a request. And here's another sentence. Cats also was the cause of a police squad entering, referring to escort the annoying Johnston to cover at the end of the struggle, and quote again. Further along in the detailed account of the incident, this same writer reported as follows, quoting, Without even dignifying the man in blue with an icy stare, Sewell walked out to appease Lyons, meanwhile raising his hands in the air. Johnston made gestures indicating he wanted Sewell to leave the party. Dykes trotted in to find out what Sewell had done to warrant expulsion. Being the manager, Dykes thought he was entitled to information, but all he heard from the arrogant gentleman in blue was, ask the American League office, end quote. The quotation in yesterday's story said that all the articles Mr. Harridge had seen were very unfair. Maybe if the quotation was correct, he didn't see that one, because nothing I said was less fair than the above, and I believe I was probably the most, well, at least among the most outspoken of the announcers. Although I may be wrong in that. Incidentally, the other two Sunday writers uh, reported the incident respectively as follows. One said, quoting, however, the defeat was placed up by some violent protest by Messrs. Luke Sewell and Skipper Jimmy Dyke the Sox. The other one also referred to violent gestures, and both men mentioned to swing to saving of the umpire from violence by the police squad. Now, most baseball fans can read. Being able to read, they don't need radio announcers to point out the violence of what happened would involve. Anytime a newspaper mentions a free squad and so forth in connection with an umpire, that umpire is going to get it from next day from the fans, radio and no. Some of the worst pop bottle episodes in the history of the game came either before the days of radio or without radio's aid. Sunday's incident was hardly the worst that ever occurred in the league. And uh, those other two stories, I hardly think they can be pointed out as exceptional jobs of reporting. Everyone in the park knows that the ejection of Sewell and Dykes came with neither man making a demonstration of any sort until after they'd been ordered from the game. I do know that my account was accurate at least. Summing it up, as I said at the beginning of this comment, I bring it up again only because a serious charge has been placed unfairly at our door. Let it stand without comment would be a cowardly thing. So I've given you the charges, the newspaper angle, and I'll report briefly what I said. As I saw Bart Johnson motion Sewell out of the game and making a harmless gesture of hopeless despair, 
I saw him immediately point Dice to the bench as he strode walk slowly and quietly toward him. Without making so much as a gesture, I declared that if the umpire really had ejected these two important men in such vital series for so trivial a reason, he didn't rate as a major league umpire. That was meant as a reflection on no one else but the umpire, which I believe is obvious. We're told to report the game as we see. Perhaps there's an intimation that we make no personal comments, yet those that I uttered by the writers in a call today. I alluded to you, fan, as I leave it as a regular announcer, I deny responsibility for Sunday's episode in any greater degree than anyone else. If we were responsible to any extent, I'm being stopped. And as my opinion of anyone throwing missiles onto a ball field, anyone who heard me Sunday knows my sentiments, which are not complimentary and not in all parts.
far the largest bus companies and airlines in the country because it lubricates better and for a longer time. The Marfac is a tough lubricant with a strong lubricating film that won't break down under the hammering impacts of hard, fast driving. It guards your car against chassis repairs and the loosening up that quickly depreciates its value. Marfac adds to your riding enjoyment. Don't drive a noisy, expensive to operate car. Tomorrow is your Texaco dealer for a Marfac job. You'll drive out a quieter, easier handling car. A car that you'll find safer and more economical to run. And now, while we're waiting for the baseball game to start, we'll give you the schedule of the other games to be played in both leagues this afternoon. In the National League, in New York, the Cubs are playing the Giants this afternoon, and the game is already in the first half of the third inning. At the end of the first half of the third, the Giants lead the Cubs one to nothing. Lee and Hartnett are working for the Cubs. Gabler and Mancuso for the Giants. The doubleheader baseball game in Philadelphia between the Phils and the Cincinnati Reds have been postponed. Both, both games are postponed because of wet ground. In Brooklyn, the St. Louis Cardinals play a doubleheader ball game against the Dodgers. At the end of the first half of the seventh inning, the Dodgers are leading the Cardinals by a score of 13 to 4. Marvin and Davis working for the Cards. Longo and Berries starting for the Dodgers with Baker pitching in the seventh. The first game of the Twinville in Boston between the Bees and the Pirates was taken by the Bees 4-1. to one. Swift and Patton worked for the Pirates with Welch pitching in the eighth. McFadden and Lopez, the battery for the Bees all the way. The Bees won the first game 4-1. to one. In the second game, the batteries for the Pirates, Weaver and Patton, for the Bees, Smith and Mueller. Now over to the American League. In St. Louis, the Browns take on the Boston Red Sox this afternoon. The game starting at 4 o'clock. In Detroit, the Tigers play another game with the New York Yankees. The warm-up pitchers for the Yankees, Ruffing. For the Tigers, Sullivan. In Cleveland, the Indians play a doubleheader ball game with the Washington Senators. At the end of the first half of the fourth inning, the Indians are leading the Senators 8-5. to Cohen and Millie started for the Senators with Appleton pitching in the third. And the Indians starting Lee and Pitlack with Hildebrand taking over the mound duties in the third. And now for a look at the standing of the clubs in both leagues. In the National League, the Chicago Cubs are still in first place. They've played 91 games, of which they've won 57 and lost 34. Second place, St. Louis Cardinals, two and a half games behind. Third place, New York Giants, whom the Cubs are playing today in New York. They're in third place, eight games behind. Fourth place, Pittsburgh Pirates, ten full games behind. Fifth, Cincinnati Reds, 12 games behind. Sixth, Boston Bees, 14 games behind. And in seventh, Philadelphia Phillies, 21 and a half games behind. And in eighth place, the Brooklyn Dodgers, 24 games behind. In the American League, the New York Yankees are in first place. They've played 96 games, of which they've won 63, lost 33. Second, Cleveland Indians, nine games behind. Third, Boston Red Sox, ten and a half games behind. Fourth, Detroit Tigers, twelve and a half games behind. And the Chicago White Sox are in fifth place, thirteen games behind the New York Yankees. And I see that Hal Totten is ready, and we'll go back to Comiskey Park to the baseball game brought to you by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Philadelphia Athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your local team. Take it, Hal Totten. Good afternoon again, ladies and gentlemen, from the ballpark, and the Athletics' first hitter, Finney, is already up there at the plate waiting to hit. The only trouble is that there's no White Sox on the field. They really got there, they come out of the dugout, and on their way out, Peavitt started out, and Luke Appling 
grabbed him by the neck and pivoted around him to run off to his position. And the Sox boys trot out on the field with Sugar King walking out to finish his warm-up on the mound with Luke Sewell. Kane has been absolute murder to this Philadelphia club. Ever since he left them with St. Louis, he beat them continually, and he's done it with White Sox, except that the other day when they were hitting everything everybody threw anyway, he couldn't stop them after Mr. Evans started getting his ticket to Kansas City. The, uh, yeah, that ticket was well punched. Did I tell you what Red, uh, on as I come, I went downstairs after the game. He was already on his way up the office to get his transportation. He took it good-naturedly. He knows he'll be back. He, he looked up at me and he said, hey, hell, and I said, well, hello, Red. He says, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> boom, boom. All he heard was face hit, but he knew that's all he heard. Well, we're almost ready to go now. The sergeant field starts to talk it up. As he finishes his warm-up, the ball goes out to second. Have a nice, cute little arrangement this afternoon. I don't know whether the official scorer is still going to refuse to pass the word along to the radio announcer, so the radio announcer's had an election, and I'm elected the radio official scorer. How do you like that? <laughs> well, I don't have to score anything on that one, because Vinny, as he did two days ago, started on the first pitch and drove it hard out into left center for a base hit, just in a good spot right between the outfielders and letting get the second base. That's the third day in a row in which Vinny has gone after the first pitch, and the second in a row three times that he's driven it out for a base hit. A double to left center by Finney, putting him on second base, nobody out in the first inning for the outfitter, and Moses. Well, Wally Moses is up there at the plate. Another left-handed hitter and a dangerous one, very fast man. And the A's center fielder, Kane, looks around rather surprisingly at the runner on second base. Now gets ready to pitch, throws, and Moses blitz the ball perfectly, but oh, it rolls foul. The left the plate started out like a perfect punt, rolling along towards third base just far enough so that they were, he had a very good chance of even beating it out, although they were playing for a punt. He's very, very fast. But the ball rolled foul, and it's strike one on Moses. One strike to count. And Kane out there gets his sign again. He's ready to pitch. Puts back to second and throws. And the hitter, oh, it was as though he wanted to punt again, but the pitch was high and wide. He let it go by for ball one. The count is one and one. One ball and one strike on Moses. One and one to count. Kane throws again and ball two. Misses the outside corner down around the knees. And it's two and one. Two balls and one strike. Kane stretches, looks back at second base, throws again, and the hitter gets the third ball. It also misses the outside corner down around the knees. And it's three balls and one strike on Moses. Three and one to count. first and second with nobody out, and 
Chubb Jean, the first baseman, the dangerous hitter, the left-handed hitter, is up there at the plate.
working behind the plate for the... Uh, oh, he should be behind the plate. I had these umpires mixed up for no reason at all. Don was on the bases yesterday. Down behind the plate, Quinn on first and Hubbard on third. Incidentally, uh, it's very easy to mix up with Dowen and Quinn because they look a great deal alike. And uh, Dowen gets a big kick out of the fact that uh, John Quinn has, is now just almost duplicating every move that Bill makes. Quinn is, as I said the other day, a fellow who has improved as an umpire more than almost any man ever did in one year. Of course, umpires, like ball players, have their bad year, and the first year is always a little bit shaky. If they have the right attitude, work hard, they come through that year, and then become a better umpire. And that's what Quinn certainly did. He's quite an umpire now, good, steady man, and he's worked hard at it. Well, we're ready to go in the last half of the first inning, right to the bat. Pitcher winds up with a double windmill wind-up and rip swings, hit the first one in the left field, but it's right straight out to Finney, who makes the catch easily for the first out. One out of the first inning for the White Sox, and Rosenthal is at best. Hubbard happens to be one first-year man that has shown no signs of being very much of a weakling out there. He's been very, very good. Throws the first one, and Rosenthal gets a good strike over the inside corner down around the knees. One strike on Larry. And the pitcher winds up again. Throws, and it's a curveball wide and low for ball one, making the count. One ball and one strike on Rosenthal. Hitting for the White Sox with one out of the first inning. Throws Larry swings it, an easy bounder down to Johnson, who fumbles it, recovers it, throws the first, and the runner is safe. And it's an error by Johnson. An error by Johnson. Throws him all on first base with one out in the first inning. And Mike Kreditz, the right fielder, is at bat. Kreditz up there at the plate. Stocky little chap. So looks at first base and throws, and Mike takes a wide one across the knees for ball one. One ball call. Ready again, takes another look at first throws, and Mike swings the line and ball down the right field line, back into the seat, and it's one and one. One ball and one strike. Second base. With Zeke Menor up there at the plate. 
balls and no strikes on Frank Hagen. Got the ball over well for Hagen, but he's having a little trouble getting it over for Frank. But he's ready again, throws. Peter Swing hit a bounder out into left field for a base hit and went out between Platt and Appling. Pretty well hit, and it's a base hit. Putting he's on first base with one out of the second inning. And Newsom, Whitey Newsom, the A shortstop, is up there at the plate. Newsom at bat. Stop for standing alongside the bag. 
shot. He got the juggle, did the flip it backhanded to Newsom. He returns it to pitcher, and now the East Door men back to their positions, backing up and talking to each other as they go, as Mink takes his place on the mound, and Luke Alpling steps up to bat. Alpling at bat, start the second inning, the score one to nothing in favor of the Athletics. Double or a triple windup. I don't know which. So Luke swings, hits a long high fly to left field. It looks easy for Finney. He's jogging over toward the foul line and makes the catch easily for the first out of the second inning. One out of the second inning for the White Sox. And Jackie Hayes, the White Sox second baseman, is at bat. Jackie swings, hit a ball out in the center field. Looks like an easy fly. Center fielder jogging in under it and makes the catch without any trouble for the second up. He just let the boys hit that ball into the air and with the wind holding it up the way it is, almost always somebody can get under it. it makes it two out of the second inning for the Sox. And Tony Platt, White Sox, third baseman, while Jimmy Dykes is taking this little rest down there, is up there at the plate. Platt at that. She winds up. Throws, and it's a fast one that misses the inside corner about waist high for ball one. One ball called. He looks around the boys at the field and gets ready again. This is time. Starts to wind up. Pitches and the hitter takes a strike over the outside corner, letter high, and it's one ball and one strike on fire. One and one. Ball called. 
Harris early on to go now. The hitter takes a high one wide and five slides in safely. Getting past the shortstop who had to go over the first base side of second to make the catch. So Fyatt has a stolen base. And it puts him on second base with two out in the second inning. And Luke Sewell still is best. The count now of two balls and no strikes. One nothing on Sewell. Talking it up down there plenty, trying to get the boys to get things moving. Things pitches, and Luke follows this one onto the roof of the stand above and to the right of the plate for strike one. The count is two balls and one strike on Sewell. Win one the count. Back at second base and throws again and Sewell swings. The pop fly coming down, foul up near first base. The catcher follows over there and makes the catch almost down to the visiting dugout for the third out. So it's no runs, no hits. One man left on base in the second inning for the White Sox. And at the end of the second inning, the Athletics still lead the White Sox by a score of one to nothing. May we remind you again that the offer is still open of the 
Hitter hits the next one for a high foul going into the stands back and drives the plate. Goes up on the roof of the stands above third base. And it's strike one. One strike on Dean. Moses on first base with one out of the third inning for the Athletics. And the pitcher waits there again. Kane has his sign. He pitches and Dean swings and misses for strike two. Swung well around on that ball. Umpire McGowan in that very careful way. He has a studying place. Thought a second. Take a look at where that bat was and then called it a strike or waved it a strike. He may have called it before that. But he got out where he could see how far he swung. And now the hitter hits the next one into left field for a base hit. All went out there fast on the ground. Clean, quiet. And up for a base hit into left field by Dean. Moving Moses to second base. And the Athletics have runners on first and second again with one out in the third inning. And Puccinelli, George Puccinelli, the leg fielder, is up there at the plate. Here's the first one right back at the pitcher who throws it clear in the center field. And the runner for second is round at third and is coming home. The ball is coming in there at the plate. But he scores and still cuts the throw off. And they get... The runner, I know they missed him going into second base. He got in there safely. Error on the throw. Error on the throw. Back at second base by Kane. He should have had the third double play in three innings there. If he made any kind of a throw, but he threw the ball behind Applin as he was dashing over to the base instead of in front of him. And it went clear in the center field for very bad error on what should have been an easy double play to end the inning. And as a result, another run scores, and the runners are on second and third. Now Kane winds up, throws the first one at Johnson, who takes it inside and low for ball one. because he had to go over fast near second base to get it and uh, then fumbled it on a tough try out there. He was a hard one because he had to go a long ways to get it and reaching on a dead run for a ball, taking a bad hop. It got away from him and goes as a scratch hit says the radio official scorer today. Hitter hits the next one for a high foul going into the stands back and drives the plate. Goes up on the roof of the stands above third base and it's strike one. One strike on Dean. Moses on first base with one out of the third inning for the Athletics. And the pitcher waits there again. Kane has his sign. He pitches and Dean swings and misses for strike two. Swung well around on that ball. Umpire McGowan in that very careful way. He has a studying place. Thought a second. Take a look at where that bat was and then called it a strike or waved it a strike. He may have called it before that. But he got out where he could see how far he swung. And now the hitter hits the next one into left field for a base hit. Ball went out there fast on the ground. Between Hyatt and Epling for a base hit into left field by Dean. Moving Moses to second base. And the Athletics have runners on first and second again with one out in the third inning. And Puccinelli, George Puccinelli, the right fielder, is up there at the plate. 
ball is coming in there at the plate, but he scores and still cuts the throw off, and they get the runner out. Now they missed him going into second base. He got in there safely. They're on the throw. Error on the throw, back at second base by Kane. He should have had the third double play in three innings there. And he made any kind of a throw, but he threw the ball behind Naplin as he was dashing over to the base instead of in front of him. And it went clear in the center field for very bad error on what should have been an easy double play to end the inning. And as a result, another run scores, and the runners are on second and third. Kane winds up, throws the first one at Johnson, who takes it inside and blow for ball one. She winds up again, pitches, and it's a high one inside for the second ball, making it two or nothing. Two balls and no strikes on Johnson. Waiting out there again for the sign. Starts to wind up. Pitches and Johnson got the third ball inside. He doesn't seem to want to take a chance on him. He'd rather fill that base out there with this man that gave him anything good to hit at. Well, he won't walk him on purpose. He'd rather do that. There's the next one, the fourth one. They really do throw wide on purpose. And it gives Johnson a base on balls, which fills the bases for the athletic. In the third inning, one out, one run home. He's now leading the White Sox by a score of two to nothing. And Higgins, Pinky Higgins, the athletic third baseman is a bat. Another right-handed hitter and a dangerous one. Hits the first one to Potter down to Pine, who grabs it, runs over and starts to oh, and throws the ball clear over against the stand after Pinky finally making up his mind of what to do. One run scores, the other runner two runs score, and the other runners get the second and third. Pine got that ball, started to... Uh, run over to get it, and uh, I would call two errors on that. An error on the fumble, which let the man get the two first. Let's see, would that be right? Yeah, an error on the fumble, and then an error on the throw. Two errors. Fumbling error and a throwing error, both on plant, which scores two runs, and leaves runners on second and third. There's only one out in the third inning, and Frank Hayes at that. Winds up, throws the first one, and the hitter swings, hit a high fly into center field. Center fielder Rosenthal's waiting back there for it. He's under it, he has it, and the runner from third is going home easily after the catch with the fourth run of the inning. Fyatt was very peculiar on that play. He got the ball and seemed undecided what play to make. He started to run over to third base to get the man there, and then the man ran right in front of him. He started to tag him, then finally made up his mind to throw to first. And the runner was already at first, and the throw went clear over Venora's head, and that runner got the second base, and two runs scored on it. And the hitter at bat now, Newsom, swings hard at the first pitch and misses it for strike one. Back at second again, pitches and the hitter swings in another fly in the center field. Rosenthal starts in, backs up, and then does come in and make the catch easily for the third up. And one of the worthiest innings of the year, or half innings of the year, is over with in a great big hurry. Four runs, 
Two hits. Three errors. And one man left on base in the first half of the third inning. And the score is five to nothing in favor of the Athletics as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the third with Keane, the pitcher, due to be the first hitter. Walking slowly up there toward the plate. Rather disgruntled young man. He himself had the chance to get out of that inning without a run scoring when he had a chance to make a double play there on Dean going to second. But he threw the ball into center field to let the first run of the inning score. And after that, four or three more runs scored, and all four of them were definitely due to errors. And for that reason, there were four unearned runs that inning, which gives the Athletics a 5 to nothing lead. Now the Sox better get going if they're going to get back in this ball game, but they're a hustling group. Can't tell what's liable to happen. They haven't made a hit yet. They've had two men on base, one on an error, one on a base on balls. That start the last half of the third inning. And he takes the first one wide across the waist for ball one. Now, are you going to get butted all over a little business, George? One ball called. Pitcher again winds up, throws, and it's ball two. It's over the plate for too low, and the count is two or nothing. Two balls and no strikes on King. Boy, try to talk with popcorn in my mind. Here comes ball three wide across the knees and three balls and no strikes on King. Three and nothing to count. He walks back on the slab again. He's winding up. Throws in the hitter. Takes ball four. It's over the plate but too low. And Kane opens the inning with a base on ball. Well, when a pitcher watches, walks the other pitcher to open an inning, why, you can't tell what's going to happen. Sometimes that pressure gives all sorts of excitement. Call time for a moment while the bat boy takes Kane's leather jacket down train. He pulls it on it. Got the coolness of the lake with it and could very easily tighten up a pitcher's arm out there. Now the pitcher is ready again and he's got a pitch to rest. And the Ripper takes the first pitch inside across the knees for ball one. One ball called. Suddenly time is called as a fog. Pitcher balked out there. He started to uh, wind up and stop, and then started his pitching motion again without stepping off the rubber. And umpire McGowan called it instantly, even before the two White Sox coaches started to call it. And so Fink is charged with a balk. That isn't shown in your, I think it is shown in the scoring system, a little BK, capital B, small K in the scorebook. First pitch to, next pitch to Roger, rather, is. Outside of ball for ball two, making it two and nothing. Two balls, no strikes. Boy, that wind blows the noise of that train over here like it was right across the street. Just three blocks away. <laughs> over east of the park. Two and nothing, and there is a wide one. Now a catch at the outside corner, a little above the knees for strike one. And it's two balls and one strike on Radcliffe. Two and one to count. 
Lost scores, fleet batteries from other cities, we return to the studio. The National League in New York, the Giants lead the Cubs at the end of the first half of the seventh inning, four to nothing. Leon Hartnett, the opening battery for the Cubs, with Bryant pitching in the fifth, Gabler and Mancuso going the entire route for the Giants so far. In Brooklyn, the first game of the doubleheader between the Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals was won by the Dodgers, and they had a score of 22 to 7. Parmalee and Davis worked for the losing cards, the Dodgers starting Mungo and Berries with Baker pitching in the seventh. The first game of the doubleheader in Boston between the Bees and the Pittsburgh Pirates was won by the Bees, 4 to 1. Patton working for the Pirates with Welch pitching in the eighth, Nick Payton and Lopez for the Bees the entire route. In the second game in Boston, Weaver and Patton, the battery for the Pirates, the Bees using Smith and Mueller. At the end of the first half of the fifth inning, the Pirates lead the Bees 2 to 1. The warm-up batteries for the St. Louis Cardinal Brooklyn Dodger game earned shot for the cards, Clark for the Dodgers. The American League in Detroit, the New York Yankees lead the Tigers at the end of the second inning, 7 to nothing. In the first game of the doubleheader in Cleveland, the Indians lead the Washington Senators at the end of the eighth inning by a score of 11 to 6. And now back to Comiskey Park and Al Barton. Take it, Al. Back at the ballpark for the fourth inning, and we come on the air just after one of the most thrilling plays of the year. Ratcliffe is tearing across from left field and made a reaching, scooping, one-handed catch of a fly ball out there. And almost bumped into Appling after catching it, but Ratcliffe caught that ball reaching out with one hand and just managed to scoop it off the top of the grass on a beautiful play for the first out. Ratcliffe also carrying out cross paths with him for just a moment. And uh, I brushed each other, but everybody seems all right. Your roomies out there are almost collided. So it's one out of the fourth, and Finney, the leadoff man, hits the first pitch, a drive to right field. Hot tears over to his left, gets it and throws it on in. Change in lineup as a result of Hoss batting for Rosenthal. Puts Hoss in right field and moves Cleavage out to center. Hoss got that ball and fell out there for a base hit. He caught it on the hop. So Finney is on first base, one out of the fourth inning, and Moses, Wally Moses, the center fielder, who's letting that drive get through him, let two runs score that inning. One of them never would have scored, so the Radcliffe run must go as a an unearned run. And Moses follows the next one into the second deck above him to lift the plate, it bounds out and over, and finally lands down amongst the box seat holders down near the Sox dugout. And it's one strike, one strike on Moses. The next one is inside and low for ball one, and the count is one ball and one strike. One and one on Moses. And Wally swings the next one. Benora leaps high into the air, grabs the ball with a hop, steps on first base, and throws the second. And the runner sliding in there is tagged out. Appling almost forgot to tag him. He still stepped on the base and then suddenly realized that he had to tag him then because the runner had already been put out at first. There was no force play possible. So he put the ball on him fast and completed the White Sox third double play in four innings. They'd had four in four innings except for that error in the third. And they would have been on their way to some sort of a record. As it was, Moses was out. Benora unassisted, and then Benora's throw to Appling at second base, double Finney sliding in for the third out. So it's no runs, one hit in the fourth inning for the Athletics, and the score remains 
two in favor of the A's. The White Sox come to bat in the last half of the fourth and just had a little visit during the intermission. Four scores with Presbyter the Reverend Alphonse Press of Columbia College of Dubuque. And uh, they listen to us out there. And that is the place, if you people don't remember offhand, where Red Faber did his college pitching before he came to the White Sox. So naturally out there, they're very, very loyal White Sox fans. We were off Hope you'll come back again. He said it was a little breezy up here. He was going down to Sun Myrtle. It's warmer. I don't blame him. Here's Appling at bat. Start the last half of the fourth inning. And the pitcher out there takes a look around. The boys see that they're all set. Starts wind up. And throws. And Luke takes a good strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. One strike on Appling.
throws, and the hitter swings a little pop fly out back at second base, and the shortstop is back there following it as the wind blows. It makes the catch nicely, and it's three out. No runs, no hits in the fourth inning for the White Sox. And the score at the end of the fourth inning still stands 5-2 in favor of the Philadelphia Athletics. From coast to coast, more and more car owners are turning to Marfax. They know that when they want dependable, thorough chassis lubrication, they can find it at any Texaco service station with Marfax. They save time and money, too, because Texaco Marfax lubrication lasts twice as long as ordinary grease jobs. George, you hungry today? I never saw a man eat so much. First you were buttered all over, and now you're red hot, and a piece of cake, and now you're back in the butter all over again. Sure. Dean up there, takes the first one, lays it down there, down over the heart of the plate, about knee high for a strike. One strike on Dean.
like that Kane was the first man at bat. It's Sewell, the first man up. Luke Sewell, the first man at bat for the White Sox in the fifth inning. You people who were keeping track on the Texaco scorebook probably had me caught up on that long ago. Sewell tosses it through the bat side. He always comes up swinging three. And steps up there to the plate. The umpire takes a moment to the plate. There, Stink looks around the boys. They play loop a little bit around toward left field. And the pitcher starts his wind-up. And throws and soon takes a fast strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. One strike to count. He's ready again. Winds up once more. Pitches. And it's over the plate for two low for ball one. Making it one ball and one strike on Luke Sewell. One and one. Then the pitcher throws a slow ball. Luke gets it out to the third baseman. Higgins gets it, throws the first. And Sewell is out for the first out of the fifth inning. Mr. Fink is pitching himself a nice ball. Last two hits. And one of the two runs scored against him is earned. One unearned. Sugar Kane, White Sox pitcher, walking slowly up there to the plate. Finally walks around behind the umpire, takes his place to plate. Pitcher is winding up, he throws, and it's wide and low for ball one. One ball call. Pitcher again starts to wind up pitches. And it's a strike over the heart of the plate, waist high, making it one and one. One ball and one strike. Throws again, and the hitter swings in, an easy bounder out in front of the plate. Hayes, the catcher, goes out, gets it, throws rather badly, but Dean, who to my mind looks like he has the makings of quite a fielding first baseman as well as a good hitter, reached right out in front of the, the base runner, grabbed the ball, and then got out of the way to prevent a collision on a very nice play. So it's two out of the fifth inning. Two out of the fifth inning for the White Sox and Radcliffe. Rip Radcliffe, leadoff man, left fielder, is at bat. Leans over, gets the sign, winds up, pitches, and Rip takes a wide one across the waist for ball one. One ball called. Again, he's winding up. Throws and Radcliffe takes it inside across the waist for ball two. So it's two and nothing, two balls and no strikes on the ripper. Two balls and no strikes. Winding up again, throws and the hitter takes it for a ball wide and low. And it's three and nothing, three balls and no strikes on Radcliffe. Throws again and Rip takes a strike over the heart of the plate about knee high and it's three and one. Three balls and one strike. Throws again and there's the fourth ball wide across the chest and Rip gets the base on ball. They put him on first base. Two out of the fifth inning and 
at the end of the fifth. Have you sent in your request card for the 1936 Texaco Baseball Scorebook yet? If not, don't put it off. Thousands of baseball fans are already enthusiastically keeping their own play-by-play records of these games and having lots of fun doing it. The instructions are easy to follow. In them, Hal Totten tells you just how he does it. And there are plenty of blank score sheets for you to use. In addition, in the 1936 Texaco Baseball Scorebook, you'll find schedules of all major league games, data on all players of both the Cubs and Sox, plenty of other interesting baseball data on both teams. It's easy to get your free copy. Go to any Texaco service station and ask for a request card. Write your name and address on the card, stamp it, and mail it. Stop at any Texaco service station and get your card in the mail tonight. And now back to Kaminsky Park for the continuation of the baseball game, brought to you by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Philadelphia Athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your local team. Take it, Hal. Back at the ballpark for the sixth inning, first man at bat. Frank Hayes lines the ball out into left field for a base hit to open the sixth. And he's on first base, nobody out in the sixth inning. And Newsom, Whitey Newsom, the shortstop, is at bat. Ready to pick the first one to him with the first base throws, and he bunts the ball, but it's foul to the right of the plate for strike one. Sorry to bump for one foul. One strike on Newsom. He's on first base. Nobody out in the sixth inning. Jackson throws the first, and oh boy, it was a close play, but he got back very close because. Kane made a good throw over there. Pitcher throws and Newsom again tries to bunt and again it rolls foul. This time though it hung right alongside the line and Benua to make sure that it scooped it on more foul so that it couldn't hit something that found fair. Coach over there, Lena Blackburn, grabbed it, threw it back to Kane and Kane goes back to first base. So it's two strikes on Newsom. Two strikes to count. Throws again for the first ball. It's wide and low on the count. It's one ball and two strikes on Newsom. One and two. There comes the next one. Wide and low on it's ball two. So it's two balls and two strikes on Newsom. Two and two to count. Suddenly walks out of the box to dry his hands in the dirt. Umpire calls time. Whitey gets back up to the plate. Pitch is ready. Throws the hitter, takes a wide one across the knees for ball three. And it's three balls and two strikes on Newsom. Three and two is the count. Ready again, throws the runners on the goal. The hitter takes the third strike, and the ball out to second base gets the runner out. Apparently, Hayes is taking the ball. Jack the fellow almost in the face. He managed to miss his face, but touched him on the shoulder, and it goes as another double play. Newsom is mad and throws the bat on the ground in disgust as he starts back toward the bench, called out on strike. Umpire McGowan turns around and watches him walk off there to make sure he doesn't make any more of a demonstration. 
but it's another double play for the White Sox, who now have four of them today, almost had five. Four in six innings. And think the pitcher, Herman is up there. Throws the first one, and he swings hit a ball down past the first pitch. Blackburn, who was standing more or less back the plate, ducked his head and sort of shrunk all up as the ball bounded past him. Not very close. One strike on Fink, and that was two out of the sixth inning for the Athletic. Came throws again, and Fink swings to follow the ball into the stand back at first base. Pretty well back there, back to the aisle. And it's a two strike on Fink. Two strikes to count. He swings again to miss a curveball inside, striking out for the third out. Those no runs, one hit. Sitting for the athletics. They still lead the White Sox by a score of 5 3. Sox come to bat on the last half of the sixth with Luke Appling, their first man at bat. Appling will be the first hitter in the last half of the sixth inning. This is the third time in a row that Luke has come up there to lead off in an inning. Earl Max, son of Connie, and Fellow who usually warms up the pitches, catcher by trade, he's old in his playing days, is warming up pitcher. I don't know if Earl did any playing to speak of, but he did some work out with Portland, I believe, as did his brother. Umpire calls for the ball, looks it over pretty carefully, finally decides it's all right. Burns walks out and throws it back to Big, so he can continue his warm up. Coucher gets up there to the plate. The ball is thrown out to second base. We have Johnson flipping it over to Newsom. Newsom returning at the pitcher. They walk back their positions. Pitcher's on the rubber. And Appling steps up to bat. Appling at bat. Start the last half of the sixth inning. Pitcher starts to wind up throws. And hitter leads back to take a ball inside across the shoulders. One ball called on Appling. She winds up again, pitches, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate, waste time, making it one and one. One ball and one strike on Appling. And Luke watches a slow one curve wide and low for ball two. So it's two balls and one strike on Luke. Two and one. Comes the next pitch and Luke gets the, lets it roll over to the right. Got to let it roll to the right, rather. Luke let it go by and it's three and one. Three balls and one strike on Appling. First man at bat in the last half of the sixth inning of the ball game in which the Athletics are leading the White Sox by a score. A five to three. Big throws again, and Luke lets ball four go by wide. It's a base on balls for Appling, putting him on first base with nobody out of the sixth inning. And Jackie Hayes, White Sox second baseman, steps up there at the plate, stops, looks down to Billy Webb to see if he should take this one or hit it the first one. Apparently got his sign. Now looks back at the pitcher, and Fink has the sign. There's the stretch. He pitches, and it's a slow 
curve that gets the outside corner about knee high for strike one. Strike on here. Ready again, watch his first base and throws. And it's a high one inside for ball one. It's one ball and one strike on here. Lost their game to the Giants today by a score of seven to two. The Cubs scored two runs and hit the two. 
two hours, the Giant Seven runs twelve hits in one hour. Leon Hart met the opening battery for the Cubs with Bryant in the fifth, Root in the eighth. Gabriel and Matt Cusa went the entire route for the Giants. First game of the doubleheader in Brooklyn between the Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals was won by the Dodgers, 22-7. In the second game, Aaron Sean Ogredowski, the battery for the Cards, the Dodgers warming up, Clark and Phelps with Butcher pitching in the first. At the end of the first inning, the Cards lead the Dodgers in the second game, 3-0. Boston, the Bees took the first game of the doubleheader from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Scored two runs, eight hits in two hours. The Giants, seven runs, 12 hits in one hour. Leon Hart met the opening battery for the Cubs with Bryant in the fifth, Root in the eighth. Gabriel and Matt Cusa went the entire route for the Giants. First game of the doubleheader in Brooklyn between the Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals was won by the Dodgers, 22-7. In the second game, Aaron Sean Ogredowski, the battery for the Cards. The Dodgers warming up. Clark and Phelps with Butcher pitching in the first. At the end of the first inning, the Cards lead the Dodgers in the second game, Nothing. In Boston, the Bees took the first game of the doubleheader from the Pittsburgh Pirates, 4-1. In the second game, at the end of the sixth inning, the score is tied at 3-all. Weaver and Patton, the Pirate opening battery in the second game, with Brown and Finney, the battery in the sixth. Smith and Mueller working for the Bees. In the American League in Detroit, the New York Yankees lead the Tigers at the end of the first half of the fifth inning by a score of 13 to nothing. Ruffing and Dickey working for the Yanks, Sullivan and Myatt for the Tigers, with Walker pitching in the second. First game of the doubleheader in Cleveland, between the Indians and the Washington Senators, was taken by the Indians, 11 to 6. The batteries in the second game, the Senators, Weaver and Millies, for the Indians, Gale House and Sullivan. In St. Louis, the Boston Red Sox and Browns are tied with no score at the end of the first half of the first inning, with Austin Mueller and Berg working for the Red Sox, the Browns using Hogshead and Giuliani. And now back to Comiskey Park and Hal Totten. Take it, Hal. Back at the ballpark for the seventh inning. Penny and Pat started off, takes a ball, and then falls one into the second deck toilet for strike one. Kane winds up again, throws, and loose swings in a high fly in left field. Left field is jogging in under it. Ratcliffe's waiting. Has it. And it's one out of the seventh inning. One out of the seventh inning for the A's. And Moses, Wally Moses, the center fielder, is at that.
trying to get it. Two and two now, two balls and two strikes. Wally Swing hit a bounder, but another race over to his right, gets it. Tosses to Kane, but Wally, a very fast man, beats it out easily for a base hit. Ball was really Hayes' ball, but Panura went out to get it, and as a result, they lose that man. It's a base hit for Moses. He's so fast, you can't fool with him. When it comes to a play like that, he's going to beat you. And so Moses is on first base with one out of the seventh inning, and Dean, Chuck Dean, the first baseman, is at bat. Curveball inside and low for ball one. One ball called. It throws again. The runner's on the goal in the hit and run play. The hitter drives the ball in the left field for a base hit. Ratcliffe fields it fast and throws it into third base, holding the runner from first and second. So it's single to left field by Dean, moving Moses to second base. Part of that ball. And that puts Philadelphia runners on first and second with one out of the seventh inning. And Puccinelli, the right fielder, is at that. Third up. Kane 
in the first part of the game he was wild, and then in that third inning, everything went haywire with all those errors and things, and it was just too bad. So it's no runs, two hits, two men left on base in the first half of the seventh inning, and the score remains 5-3 to three in favor of the Athletics as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the seventh with the head of the batting order, Rip Radcliffe, the first man at bat. Broadcast the White Sox Philadelphia game comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, home of the White Sox in Chicago. As a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco, Fire Chief Gasoline. Broadcast comes with the permission of the White Sox and the Athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL in Chicago. Tank is finishing his warm up. Down here with Hayes while Radcliffe stands there waiting to take his turn at bat. Ball finally goes out there to second base. And we're ready to go in the last half of the seventh inning. Crowd sitting down after its seventh inning stretch. Slams the ball into his glove a couple of times. First pitch to Radcliffe, a high one wide for ball one. One ball called. Big 
second. Two out, four runs, no man. Sugar Cane, the pitcher, is coming to bat.
high going foul into the stands back at first base. That makes it one and one.
The next pitch, the referee is wide for ball two, and the count is two balls and two strikes on Radcliffe. And he swings this time and hits a high fastball and strikeout for the first out of the eighth inning. One out of the eighth inning for the Sox, and Haas is at bat. Ewell Haas has two hits and a walk since coming into the ball game. Two out of the ninth inning for the Athletics, and 
Moses, the A's center fielder, is at bat. Moses, another left-handed hitter, waits there as Kane starts to wind up throws, and it's a wide one across the knees for ball one. One ball called. Has the sign again, starts to wind up, pitches, and the hitter tried to get away from that one, but it came into him and hit the handle of the bat and found the ball back in the sand. So it's one and one. One ball and one strike on Moses. Waiting there again for the sign. Suddenly the umpire calls time, walks up, talks to Sewell about something or other. Oh, he changed that last one to a ball? How could he have hit the bat? Well, he did, so it's two and nothing. There must be some reason. It might have hit Sewell's glove or something first and turned down against the bat. Anyway, the next one does come over the plate for a strike, and it's two and one. Two balls and one strike. And there's ball three, wide and low. And it's three and one. Three balls and one strike on Moses. Kane is winding up again. He throws and the hitter takes a strike over the inside corner about knee high. It runs the count to three and two. Now we'll see what happens. Balls and two strikes on Moses. Throws and ball. While he swings the ball one way down the left field line, back underneath the second deck, far down beyond third base. And it's three and two. Three balls and two strikes. Winding up again, throws and the hitter takes ball four, high and wide, and got the base on ball. Well, that puts Moses on first base and two out in the ninth inning. And brings Chubb Dean, very troublesome young man with that, up there to the plate. He really looks like a lot of hitters. They're looking at the bench. Oh, the umpire discovered the catcher's paraphernalia lying out there in the ground. It's none of the dugout is supposed to be in it. So they wait until it's taken in. And there's the first pitch to Dean for a slow curve. It comes over the heart of the plate around the knees for a strike. One strike on Dean. Dean throws again and the hitter swings at a foul down the left field line, clear over the roof of the sand. And it's two strikes on Chubb. Two strikes count. Waiting for that next one. It's ready again. Throws and the hitter takes a high one wide for ball one. And it's one ball and two strikes on deep. Moses on first base, two out of the ninth inning, and the White Sox leading seven to five. Again, Kane pitches in the hitter, swings in a high fly to center field. Kivich is coming in fast. Finally slows up under it. Has it, and it's three out of the Sox win the ball game. Boy, that score, seven to five. In the ninth inning, no run, no hit. One man left on base. And the final score of the total, White Sox. Had seven runs, ten hits, three errors, and eight men left on the bases. 
Every fabric that's popular in white, pastel shades, print, and even some new blacks. And they're just $2.95 on terms of 25 cents down and 25 cents a week without interest or carrying charge. Go to New Arts and see these extraordinary values for yourself. There's a complete selection in your size. And New Arts courteous perks are truly eager to help you. For 25 cents down and no red tape or fuss at all to take your choice right home with you. It's New Arts, 232 South State Street and 6319 South Street. Now here come the scores in the National League. At Boston, the end of the first game of a doubleheader, the Pittsburgh Pirates, one run, nine hits, and two errors. Boston, four runs, ten hits, and three errors. Boston, four, Pittsburgh, one. The batteries for Pittsburgh, Swift, Welch, the pitcher, and Pat in the catcher. For Boston, McFade in the pitcher, and Lopez, the catcher. The final score of the second game that has just come in. Pittsburgh, 10 runs, 16 hits, and 1 error. Boston, 4 runs, 9 hits, and 2 errors. Pittsburgh, 10. Boston, 4. The batteries in the game. For Pittsburgh, Weaver and Brown, the pitchers. Padden and Finney, the catchers. For Boston, Smith and Wright, the pitchers. And Mueller, the catchers. The final score of the first game of the doubleheader between the St. Louis Cardinals and Brooklyn Dodgers. St. Louis, 7, and the Brooklyn Dodgers, 22. The total, St. Louis, 7 runs, 7 hits, and 3 errors. The Brooklyn Dodgers, 22 runs, 21 hits, and 1 error. The batteries in the game for St. Louis, Parma Lee and Davis. For Brooklyn, Van Lingo Mungo, the pitcher, and Barrett, the catcher. At the end of the fourth inning of the second game, the St. Louis Cardinals, 5, Brooklyn Dodgers, nothing. The batteries working that game for St. Louis, Big George Earnshaw, the pitcher, and Ogbedowski, the catcher. For Brooklyn, Park and Butcher, the pitchers, and Self doing the backstopping. The doubleheader between the Cincinnati Reds and the Philadelphia Phillies was called because of wet ground being able to play neither of the two game schedules. The final score between the Chicago Cubs and the New York Giants played at New York. Chicago 2, New York Giants 7. The totals, Chicago 2 runs, 8 hits, and 2 errors. The New York Giants 7 runs, 12 hits, and 1 error. The batteries for Chicago. Victor Lee started, Bryant relieved, and Root relieved Bryant. Three pitchers, Lee Bryant and Root, and Gabby Hardnett behind the plate. For New York, Gabler the pitcher, and Cutman Cuso the catcher. Fellows, you don't know what real comfort is until you've worn one of the smart new summer suits that New Arts are featuring. Nationally advertised, genuine loom cool and beach weave masterpieces in single and double-breasted models. Porous, lightweight suits that let the air circulate close to your body are priced just $12.50. And all you need is 50 cents down to take your suit home with you. 50 cents a week will take care of the balance. And at New Arts, there's never any interest or carrying charge. And while you're there, don't fail to see the smart accessories on display. Shirts and ties, polo shirts, white vinyl trousers, white shoes, all at the Loop Store. Get everything you need at New Arts on easy credit. Go to New Arts, N-E-W-A-R-T, New Arts, 232 South State Street and 6319.
19 South Halstead Street. Open Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday evening. Listen tomorrow right after the game for scores of other games presented by New Arts, Chicago's favorite family credit clothiers. W-I-N-T.